Time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know, reviewing yesterday's show, that was just perfectly awful. Um, hard to listen to. <laughs> John, who is our, uh, who's our production guy here at the studio, he's nodding his head in agreement. Yes, sir. That was just really rough. Don't understand why we're uh, chucking the word of God in favor of um, Dr. Seuss's stories. We're going to tie up some loose ends about that today. Welcome to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Christ. My job on this program, my vocation here on Fighting for the Faith, is to serve up a daily dose of biblical discernment to find wild ideas that are not in conformity with the gospel and make them obedient to Christ. Yeah, it's it's a biblical concept. Look it up. Look it up in your Bible. <laughs> it's true. Oh, man. Yesterday's show was really hard to listen to. We have a little bit more of the same that we're going to go through, although the we're going to listen to another Dr. Seuss sermon, but um, it's not nearly as bad as ours blasphemous is what we heard yesterday from the Horton Hatches and Eggs sermon. Um, and the reason I want you guys to hear this next one is because it really is a good example. It's a good example of how purpose-driven preaching uh, preaches about you and fills your head up with delusions of grandeur. Rather than doing what Christ calls us to do in uh, Luke 24, Jesus says that repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to every nation. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Good Christian teaching, good Christian preaching that's biblical, points out our sin and sinfulness, uses the law to nail us to the wall. And uh, you and I both, well, actually, there's more than two of us listening. <laughs> you and all of the rest of, me and, man, I gotta work on my grammar here. Yeah, Me and all y'all, <laughs> that's the way to say it down in the South. Me and all y'all. Um, we've got a big problem, and that is, is that we are sinful through and through. And it's not a popular uh, doctrine. It's the doctrine of original sin or total depravity, as the Calvinists call it. And uh, yeah, I think you have to understand what that means. It, it, it doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing uh, civic good here on the planet. That's not, that's not what uh, total depravity means. It basically boils down to when it comes to the things of God, you are by nature, you, you are born with a bazooka in your hand and you have it aimed at God's forehead. And the other part of that is, is that you're constantly launching grenades from the bazooka at God's forehead. You, by nature, are hostile, angry, rebellious, dead in your trespasses and sins. And when it comes to the true things of God, you want to make yourself God or you want to create your own idols and you want religion your way. The Frank Sinatra religion. I did it my way. That's the problem. So good Christian preaching will always point out your sin and not pull any punches and not say, oh, it's an oopsie. I heard one pastor. I got to find this one. Somebody sent me a video from, uh, remember the, the pastor from Chandler, Arizona, who, who said that he believes that uh, 
that uh, God wants us to have better sex than than unbelievers, and that you know that that the world will be jealous by how great our sex is. <laughs> I've got I've got audio of him saying that Jesus died for our mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> I should play that. I, John, write this down. Chris, find Chandler, Arizona mistakes uh, quote. It's worth playing because he's he's doing he's got that smarmy music thing going on, and he's you know kind of doing that you know that that end of the sermon prayer type of thing. And, and I just want to let you know. Christ died for our mistakes. <laughs> he he died for our oopsies. <laughs> uh, they're called sins, and uh, for every single sin that you commit, it makes you guilty of breaking the entire law of God. And you stand condemned in your sins. If you think you're righteous, if you think that you're actually pulling off this holiness thing and uh, and that God somehow owes you something and is looking down there going, hey, that's my boy. Wow, look at that great deal. <laughs> oh, you have got another thing coming. It ain't. It don't work that way. Sorry, but uh, in your own righteousness, you are dead. In your trespasses and sins, you know. Come to think of it, you know, it's. <clears throat> I'm going to do this. I'm opening up the computer Bible. I think if I go to Philippians chapter three, um, <clears throat> this is a. This is a great passage, Philippians chapter three. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, Pharisee of the Pharisees. Chris is on a tangent, by the way, so stay with me. Um, Paul, the. Uh, uh, he's a, the apostle who was unnaturally born, who got his doctrine directly from Jesus Christ through direct revelation. Um, he was a Pharisee. And if anyone was righteous in and of himself and, and his good works, and you know, it was the apostle Paul. This this cat was, was righteous, man. He was a righteous dude. You know, that just sounds wrong when I say it like that. <laughs> First of all, I'm not cool. <laughs> Hey, I, I updated my Facebook photograph. I don't look as grumpy. <laughs> Yesterday I was fooling around before the program, and uh, my my uh, my Macintosh computer has a uh, a little eyesight camera at the on on the top of it, and you know so I can video conference with people around the world. And because I just love letting everyone see how uncool I am. Anyway, um, so I, you know, I, I, I was fitzing around with it, and I took a picture, and I thought, hey, you know, that actually turned out okay. It looked better than my other picture. My other picture looked like I was half asleep and grumpy and about ready to bite someone's face off or something. So <laughs> I changed my Facebook picture, but then, you know, it said, would you like to caption this photograph? And I thought, eh, all right, I'll, I'll put a caption on it. So that underneath the, my uh, Facebook photograph, the caption reads... Does this microphone make me look fat? <laughs> okay. It adds 10 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. The eyesight camera adds 10 pounds. And in my case, that's a bad multiplier. So, yeah. Okay. Back to the Apostle Paul. If anyone was righteous, okay, and could uh, basically say, hey, you know, I, you know, I'm a good person and uh, God owes me something. It would have been the Apostle Paul, right? He was super zealous. He was a Pharisee. Um, here's what he writes. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, he says, But whatever... 
Oh, wait a second. I've got to go back up. Mm, Roseboro. It's, it's early. Um, uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Look out for those dogs, those... <laughs> Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Man, he called them dogs. How do you really feel, Paul? You know, you, don't you understand this kind of talk is not relevant and it upsets the politically correct among us? Look out for those dogs. Look out for the those evildoers. Look out for those mutilators of the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. So Paul here is arguing here in verse 4 that he has reason to have confidence in his flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Those are some pretty good credentials. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, here's the kicker, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, there's a whole movement out there, you know, that's this, the new perspectives uh, on Paul. And they try to undermine this idea that God forensically gives us his righteousness. N.T. Wright, in his book on Paul, basically mocks this idea that uh, God can give you his righteousness. Well, there it is, right there. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, N.T. Wright, but the righteousness of God, which comes by faith in Christ. Here's the good news. Christ died for your sins. You deserved what Christ got. He was blameless. He took your punishment upon himself, satisfied God's wrath, propitiated God's wrath and justice, atoned for your sins, and freely is announced through the gospel that your sins are forgiven. Repent of your wickedness. Put the bazooka down. Trust in Christ. Be saved. That's the message of the gospel. Anyway, how'd I get off onto that subject? That's my favorite subject, by the way. Anyway, we're, we're going to type a couple loose ends from yesterday. Um, regarding this idea of uh, preaching um, Dr. Seuss's books... Let's see. I want, do I want to read the email on this? Uh-huh. Well, let's see. Here it is. Uh, here, we've got a, a brother by the name of Paul from Australia. I got to tell you, when I when I got this email yesterday, I was absolutely humbled. 
um, I'm getting emails from people around the world. And um, he, I, I got to tell you, it. I'm humbled and I'm thankful for the emails that I'm receiving from people. And the, the idea that, that somehow this silly program is being listened to, downloaded by people around the world from Australia, from New Zealand, Japan, Israel, uh, Great Britain, uh, United States, Canada, Mexico, um, just is, it, it humbles me. And I, and I just want to say thank you for all of you who take the time to listen to this program. And, uh, and I, my prayer is, is that through, the, through it, the Christ would be exalted and that uh, we would all learn something, myself included. You know. Anyway, Paul writes from Australia. He says, thank you for shining uh, light for Christ's sake in this dark world. I found your program today. That was the one with the, uh, doctor, the first Dr. Seuss sermon. One of the most painful to listen to in all of your series. In fact, I had to fast forward through much of the blasphemous mocking, not telling of the story of Abraham and Isaac as hearing that filthy dishonoring, as hearing that as filthy dishonoring of my Lord and my Savior was too much. They are biblical fools because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is also such an important, precious passage to share with people as Abraham's statement in that passage points not only to the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross, but also to his deity. From Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, from the King James Version, Paul quotes, he says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And then 22, verse 13, And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and beheld him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering in the stead of his son. I think, Paul, you make such a great point. And in hearing the so-called great zucchini tell that story in such a blasphemous way, what's really missed is the awe and majesty and the sheer power of the gospel in that passage. Here is Abraham taking his only son, as God called him, his only son, up to Mount Moriah, which happens to be the exact same mountain where the temple of God was built in Jerusalem, and is also the same mount in which Christ was crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem. There it is on that mountain that God did provide the offering in that God offered up his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing passage. And hearing it told in such a blasphemous way just is saddening. And our reactions to this, uh, actually, it's, it's okay to be angry at it. But our response needs to be prayer as well. Our response needs to be prayer for the people who are attending these churches, and our response needs to be prayer on behalf of the pastors who are involved in this idolatry and this blasphemy. And pray that God would open their eyes and that God would cause them to see the full weight of their sin and God would grant them repentance and faith. I don't want to see these people continue in this. My hope is that they would stop and realize that what they are doing is strange fire and is dangerous stuff. Paul from Australia, thank you very much for that great email.
All right, let's see here. There's a lot of things I could talk about today. You know, I want to stay with the Dr. Seuss theme for um, a minute here. Um, Andrew uh, Minatelli, he actually wrote me on Facebook. I have friends now. <laughs> Who would have thought, you know, a nerd having friends? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, w- I was on Facebook yesterday, and I got instant messages from uh, Andrew Minatelli and Ben Mordecai. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. And uh, it was hilarious. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, people know me, and they actually want to talk to me, which is kind of sad for them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Andrew Minatelli writes, uh, he says, uh, I, I have to actually, I'm, <clears throat> Andrew, I'm editing your email for, um, well, appropriateness. <laughs> <laughs> he says, clown-led communion was bad enough, but exegeting Dr. Seuss and having a um, expletive deleted uh, squash read scripture to an auditorium full of grown babies makes me want to beat that pastor to death with a garden shovel. Now, this, now there's the anger part. <laughs> yes, I, I understand and sympathize with this, the garden shovel thing, but uh, that's that we call that murder. Okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's... Let's not cross the line into murder. It's getting so bad these days that I can barely tell when I'm righteously angry and when I need to repent of my rage. Well, when you want to beat somebody to death with a garden shovel, that, I think, crosses over into the murder category. And uh, here's the good news. Christ died for that, too. Repent and believe the gospel. These poor souls are being deceived and mocked by the pastor, treating them like three-year-olds. How could I not wish the deceiver ill? Because they're made in God's image. Because Christ died for them. So let, let's not wish them ill. Let's wish upon them repentance and faith. Pray to, for God to raise up some real men to get trained and preach Christ from, the, from all of Scripture before we bemoan our solitude like Elijah did. For the glory of the King, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, for that uh, email. And that's a good point you bring up. Pray for God to raise up some real men to get them trained to preach Christ from all the Scripture. Uh, gentlemen... Um, we've been working from the idea that in order to be a pastor, you've got to quit with your day job and you need to, uh, go to seminary and, and all that kind of stuff. You should go to seminary, by the way, you should be trained before you go into the public ministry. You should be trained in theology and how to properly handle God's word. But, um, if you live in a town where there is no church anymore because they've gone the way of this purpose-driven entertainment stuff, and you are a man and you're capable of teaching, God has gifted you in that area, may I challenge you to become a tent-making pastor, to uh, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in St. Louis or Fort Wayne and ask them what I need to do, what you need to do in order to uh, get seminary training while you're on the job, and uh, let's plant some churches, men, and let's exalt Christ and Him crucified, men. We need men that will preach Christ and him crucified. And, uh, you know, so that uh, people have places to go so they can receive the gospel word and sacrament on a Sunday morning rather than being entertained to death. All right. Christy gave me an idea. Christy wrote on uh, the, uh, left a comment at the Museum of Idolatry regarding the uh, Dr. Seuss sermon. 
And uh, she gave me the idea, although I had to, I had to actually flesh it out a little bit more. And so this is building upon Christie's comment over at uh, a little eleven. Um, I'm going to be reading from uh, Green Eggs and Ham, since I mean, I mean, since now we can dig into the spiritual principles here. So I found some spiritual principles in Green Eggs and Ham, and I would like to share them with you. But see, I had to modify the text a little bit, and so this now is a parable about a pastor. starting from the beginning me i am me i am that me i am that me i am i really like that me i am do you like christ crucified i do not like him me i am i do not like christ crucified Would you preach him here or there? I would not preach him anywhere. I would not preach him here or there. I will not preach him anywhere. I do not like Christ crucified. I do not like him. Me. I am. Would you preach him in a house? Would you preach him with a mouse? I do not like him in a house. I do not like him with a mouse. I do not like him here or there. I do not like him anywhere. I do not like Christ crucified. I do not like him. Me. I am. Would you preach him in a box? Would you preach him with a fox? Not in a box. Not with a fox. Not in a house. Not with a mouse. I do not preach him here or there. I will not preach him anywhere. I do not like Christ crucified. I will not preach him. Me. I am. I think you get the point. <laughs> yeah, that's Dr. Seuss stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah, there there it is. Um, they don't want to preach Christ crucified, so we're going to preach uh, Dr. Seuss. Yet the funny thing here is, um, according to God's word, uh, check this out, Hebrews chapter 4, okay, starting in verse 11, the inspired author, which, by the way, I think was Paul, but that's another story. The inspired author of the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews, writes, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. I'm sorry, but the words of Dr. Seuss are neither living nor are they active, and they are not to be preached among the congregation of those called out, the ecclesia, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. Dr. Seuss's words are not living and active, and they have no place in God's holy house. Because Dr. Seuss, his words are not breathed by the Holy Spirit. And even though there might be some moral truths in them, whoop de do. Um, By the way, um, the Connection Church in St. Louis, Missouri, has has got a new website up called Pimp My Church. Pimp My Church. It's true. Um, And so I'd like to read to you from uh, their website about pimping their church. 
you click on the website. It's, it's pimpmychurch.info. Have, we already have a, a link to their website up at the Museum of Idolatry. You can visit the Museum of Idolatry at alittleleven.com. Alittleleven.com. Here we go. Pimp My Church. This is from their website. Pimp My Church is a playoff of a popular MTV show called Pimp My Ride. Pimp. You know, I never thought I'd heard the word pimp and church put together in such a blasphemous way. Boy, that really gets people's attention, doesn't it? Pimp My Church. Uh, you know, I think that's actually appropriate to come to think of it. Because what do pimps do? They sell whores, right? And idolatry is a form of spiritual whoredom, right? Spiritual prostitution. So it makes perfect sense. So Pimp My Church, you can experience pure spiritual prostitution at the New Connection Church in St. Louis, Missouri, because their their church is now pimped. <sighs> Pimp My Church is a playoff of a popular MTV show called Pimp My Ride. They take old junker cars, ones really meant for the trash heap, and pimp them out. <laughs> is your church an old clunker? <laughs> oh, we'll pimp it out for you. <clears throat> Meaning they give them new paint jobs, fix up the dents, clean out the trash, and add outrageous things like movie projectors, refrigerators, or whatever else the owner might like. That's what it means to pimp my ride. Translation, fix up my car. It seems our society has begun to view church as an old junker, something useless, worn out, out of date, and ready for the trash heap. At the Connection Church, uh, we want to let people know that church is absolutely relevant and useful, that life and faith can meet in a way that impacts our very existence. The church is as fly as we dream it and create it to be. God is certainly not out of date, and neither should God's people be out of date. That's right. Have you got an old clunker of a church? Let us pimp it out for you. So come each Sunday in September and find out what the connection is becoming. You'll find people just like yourself searching for something meaningful in life. You'll enjoy a live band playing music that will connect you with God. Really cool. I didn't realize that musicians were closer to God than I was. Hear practical and relevant messages that make an impact on everyday life and build relationships worth keeping for a lifetime. Now that's a fly, outrageous, pimped-out church. No, it's not. It's just like every other church out there nowadays. Oh, Lord. Here's the fun part. Um, went to the Connection Church's actual website this is the the long version of their website and uh clicked on the what we believe section of their website now a lot of times when you go to a church's website and you click on what you, what we believe you'll actually find well you know some propositional truths put in doctrinal statements like we believe in the trinity uh we believe in salvation by grace alone well by the way i'm a follower of the book of concord and if you want a quick synopsis of the doctrines that i believe teach and confess read the augsburg confession along with the three ecumenical creeds that's the synopsis anyway um well at the connection church they're so pimped out that uh, they don't have anything as outdated and clunky as a doctrinal statement because you know they're they're a united methodist church united methodist church translate that as uber liberal okay so um here we've got the connection church here is their what we believe statement it, it comes down to four simple statements live abundantly learn diligently laugh freely and love completely (laughs) yeah where's jesus here hello (laughs) 
live abundantly. Jesus said, oh, there he is, because Jesus said, here, oh, here we go again. It's the abundant life heresy again. All right. Jesus said that he came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Um, Yo, uh, pimp pastor, you need to uh, read that in context. You might want to, after you read it in context, I don't think you're going to want to um, actually quote that. Um, It is God's desire that we enjoy each each day God has given. Our abundant life is found in a real relationship with God and with others through Jesus Christ. Well, that's great. Who is he? What did he do? Do you believe that he died for my sins, that he was God in human flesh, and that the Bible is the inerrant word of God? Do you believe that, pastor from United Methodist Church, the Connection Church, the pimped out church? In St. Louis, Missouri. How about learn diligently? God has given us instructions on how to handle everything in life from relationship to finances, raising a family to getting a good job. The Bible says that people perish because we lack God's knowledge and we begin to experience abundant life as we learn God's ways and walk in them. What? (laughs) Okay, so the purpose of learning is so that we can... uh, Manage our relationships, finances, raising a family, getting a good job, and that we would perish because we don't learn God's ways and walk in them. Yeah. By the way, not learning God's ways and not walking in them, um, that's called sin. Okay, that's the problem. And, uh, you know, Jesus solved the sin problem for us by dying for our sins. Repent and believe the gospel. Laugh freely is the next section here. Here we go. A joyful heart is like good medicine. And as we learn to live in God's ways, we'll begin to find the freedom to laugh and enjoy life. And there's fullness of joy in God's presence. And that joy is our strength. It doesn't mean life is always perfect, but it means we can go forward with an attitude of peace, knowing that God is with us. What did that mean? I just read. I have no idea what that meant. Maybe I'm just not joyful or living abundantly. That's my problem, right? Yeah. Here we go. Love completely. Love is an action verb. You know, action verb. I, you know, <laughs> you pull out the old comics, you know, comic books. Pow, biff, bam. Yeah, love is an action verb. The fulfillment of Jesus' message to, uh, to us is love. No, no, not exactly. Uh, Christ died for our sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Uh, The Apostle John writes, By finding our best life in Jesus, we also find the freedom and confidence to serve and to share that love. Finding our best life in Jesus? What? Sorry. By finding our best life in Jesus, we also find the freedom and confidence to serve and to share that love with others. Jesus loved loved us to the point of giving his own life, and we ought to lay down our lives in like manner. It, well, yeah, he laid down his life. Why? As an example for us to follow? Is that, is that all that, you know, the, the purpose of Jesus' death on the cross was just to be an example? What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus laid down his life, so you need to lay down yours. Hmm. We love completely by doing good for others and by telling them the good life we found in God through Jesus. Oh, that's a different gospel. <laughs> by telling them the good life we found. No, it's not the good life we found in Jesus. It's Christ crucified for our sins. This is malarkey. Good night. Yeah, pimped out church is right. It's a prostituted church. <laughs> 
<laughs> that isn't uh, preaching the gospel, but instead preaching the abundant life heresy. Lovely, lovely, lovely. All right, we're going to go into our first break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, we're going to be looking at the next uh, sermon on uh, the Dr. Seuss. Thing. I guarantee it's not as painful to listen to, but it's important that you hear it. So um, stay with us. And if you would like to email me and uh, sound off and let me know how ruthless and cruel I am, I get a lot of those. Um, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. I'm Chris Roseboro, and uh, we'll be right back. founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Well, our production guy, John, had a great idea. It's a great visual, by the way, John. You know, it used to be that uh, when you would go to church, you'd, you'd see people walking to the sanctuary with their Bibles under their arms or in their Bible book covers. Do they sell Bible book covers for the works of Dr. Seuss? Can you imagine coming to church with uh, green eggs and ham tucked under your arm? That's a good visual light. That was a great idea, John. Yes. <clears throat> anyway, without any further ado, we're going to dive right into the next sermon. Actually, this is uh, the sermon that was preached two weeks after. We're going to skip the Grinch that stole Christmas. And this is the August 24th uh, sermon from the Oaks Fellowship in uh, Red Oak, Texas. And the name of it is, Oh, the Places You Will Go. And uh, plain and simple on this one, uh, listen carefully to... Who is he preaching about? Tell me if you're hearing about Christ crucified for your sins. Um, are you hearing about sin? Or, um, you know, what, what comes to mind is, you know, is one of the Star Wars movies. I, I think it was the the third one, The Return of the Jedi. Well, actually, I guess that's, you know, four, five, six, the sixth one in the series because they have prequels. And I'm all confused now. And they had Star Wars come out in cartoon format. What was that about? Anyway, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, and uh, in the opening sequence, you know, uh, Princess Leia comes and rescues him and, and unfreezes him and tries to bring him up to speed into what's going on, you know, and, and find out that uh, Luke Skywalker is a Jedi, and, he, and, and, and Han Solo says something to the effect of, you know, I, I'm out of it for, you know, for a little while, and everyone's got delusions of grandeur. 
Well, I think this is a great sermon that, uh, boy, um, it's not pointing us to Christ. And uh, this is the sermon that creates delusions of grandeur. Uh, and uh, without any further ado, I think we'll get right into it. So here we go. Dr. Seuss, oh, the places you'll go. Oh yeah, this is one of those pimped out churches. I forgot to tell you that. You know, this is actually the start, the beginning of the sermon experience. You know, they started with the video, and yes, this there's kids involved. But hang on. There's nothing better in church than good old potty humor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're sure? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Dad. Yeah? I gotta go to the bathroom. You're what? joking. No, I'm not. You were just in there. I... Didn't you... You didn't go... I didn't have to go then. No, I have to go. Oh, five seconds? Yeah. What can happen in five seconds, Dad? Are you joking? Over there yet? Hi. Oh, yeah, we're here. Hey, Dad, I forgot my sunglasses. You're joking. Come on. What does this have to do with the Word of God, by the way? I like the music, though. It's got a nice little groove to it. Dad, I forgot my iPod. Son! Dad, suntan lotion. Dad. What? Uh, this is what spanking's for, by the way. So you got everything? Yeah. I'm not joking. Look at me. Do you have everything? Yes. Think it through. Yeah. I'm not coming back. Thanks for the 
drink down them, and there was so much walking. I know, it was like going to take us forever to get in the park, you know? Yeah, we're never going to get to the park. Yeah, buddy, we're going to get there. I mean, we're just right here. We're about to go in. It's going to be cool. Let me tell you something. Don't be concerned about how long it's taking, because, you know, everything that's going on reminds me a lot of one of the stories that Dr. Seuss wrote. Which one? Oh, the places you'll go. I mean, it's a really cool one. It's about a little guy. Don't worry. It reminds me of a Dr. Seuss story. Son, this is this is a father-son moment. And, you know, son, I'd really like to crack open a Dr. Seuss story and tell you about the spiritual principles found there. And because the word of Seuss is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Guy who's off for an adventure and he's going to go all these places, but then there's trouble and difficulty and things that come against him, and he's just got to persevere and keep going on. I think there's a lot that you can learn from it because I see great things inside of you. And there's going to be times you feel like quitting, but he don't ever quit. So, how do you do that? Well, that's a great question. Before we go to sleep, let's read that book, Oh, okay. the Places You'll Go, because I think there's some stuff yeah. we can both learn in it, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before you go to bed, let's crack open Dr. Seuss. Let's not read the Bible. Let's let's because there's some good stuff in there that we can both learn. <laughs> but right now, let's hit the park. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Oh, the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. Uh, again, uh, notice that they're reading this um with this <laughs> with <laughs> they're reading this and in place of, I'm surprised they don't have people standing up in honor of the word of Seuss. You know, let us stand for the reading of Seuss. This is from Seuss, chapter 4, verse 5. Congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who'll decide where to go. Oh, yeah, because this is found in the Bible. Yeah, see, that's the reason why they had to preach Seuss, is because they don't want to preach what the Bible preaches. (laughs) If any man would follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself. (laughs) Yeah, that whole, when Jesus talks about taking up your cross... Um, there's a historical context to that. Um, let's just, we'll do a little time travel. Let, let, let's, oh, there we go. We're, we're traveling in time. We've gone back in time, and we're now in Roman-occupied Palestine. Actually, it wasn't called Palestine at the time. Roman-occupied Israel, right? Okay. And uh, back in those days, the Romans were just, they were really lovely blokes. They uh, they were just charming guys. And, uh as a way of kind of teaching the locals a lesson because they'd conquered them and they wanted to keep them under their boot heel or their sandal straps, you know, um, they, they, they took a very serious view of crime. And so what would happen is, is that when they would find some buddy who wasn't a Roman citizen, who was of the local region, you know, uh, committing m- crimes and misdemeanors, um, they would put them to death very publicly. And so if you were, let's say you were uh, in Jerusalem on the Street of Bad Meat. That, by the way, is the name of one of the shopping places, the Street of Bad Meat. You don't really want to buy meat there. At least in times past, you know, 
let's just say these weren't the choicest cuts. But, it, you know, it was, it was the uh, ancient world's version of the hamburger. But, um, and at, as you were leaving the marketplace, you saw some guy carrying a cross. That was somebody who was sentenced to death. And that person was being made an example of. And the lesson that you were supposed to learn is don't end up like that guy. You better toe the line. So Jesus, when he says, take up your cross and follow me, that would conjure up some really, really, really profound and um, meaningful memories and ideas in people's minds. And so Jesus is literally saying, consider yourself to be a dead man walking, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me where? To Calvary, right? <clears throat> anyway, that's what the Bible teaches, but uh, let's hear what this guy has to say. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care. About some, you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there in the wide open air. Out there things can happen and frequently do to people as brainy and footsy as you. And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You'll have an abundant life. Jesus is your genie and life coach. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on, you'll be left in a lurch, and you'll come down from that lurch with an unpleasant bump, and the chances are then you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself, it's not easily done. You'll come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lightened, but mostly they're darked. A place where you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare stay out? Do you dare go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn to the left or the right, or right in three quarters, and maybe not quite, or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple it's not, I'm afraid you'll find, for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. You can get so confused that you'll start in to race down long wiggled roads at break-necking pace and grind on for miles across weirdest wild space, headed, I fear, toward a most useless place, the waiting place. See, this is a, this is a message about overcoming. By the way, we're reading from uh, the Gospel of Zeus, uh, from the O, oh, the places you'll go, verse... Chapter 4, verses 2 through 56. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go. 
waiting for the phone to ring or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no. Or waiting around for you to finish, for heaven's sakes. Come on. Or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone's just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for wind to fly a kite. Or waiting around for a Friday night. Or waiting perhaps for Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break. Or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with pearls or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where boom bands are playing. With banner flip-flapping once more, you'll ride high, ready for anything under the sky. Ready because you're that kind of guy. Oh, the places you'll go. There is fun to be done. There are points to be scored. There are games to be won. And the magical things you can do with that ball will make you the winningest winner of all. Fame, you'll be famous as famous can be with the whole wide world watching you win on TV. You know, this reminds me of a passage of scripture. Um, Isaiah chapter 14. <laughs> Speaking of Lucifer. <clears throat> the inspired prophet Isaiah writes, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Isn't that what Satan said? Fame, fortune, destiny. Hmm. Let's continue. Except when they don't, because sometimes they won't. I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too, games you can't win, because you'll play against you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between yither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. But on you will go, though the weather be foul. On you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the hack and cracks howl. Onward, up many a frightening creek, though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up to your problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact. And remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft and never mix up your right foot with your left. And, and will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 98 and 3 quarters percent guaranteed. Kid, you'll move mountains. So, be your name Bucksbaum or Bixby or Bray. Or Mordecai Alley Van Allen O'Shea. You're yeah, this is a responsive reading from the Gospel of Seuss. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So, get on your way. You know, um, I don't think this would offend uh, a Mormon. I don't think this would offend a, a Muslim. 
a Hindu, a Bo- I think even Oprah could actually teach this. Yeah, you know. Uh, next, uh, by the way, uh, folks, if if you have young children and you're reading Dr. Seuss stories to them, you might actually want to get a highlighter, you know, and to make sure that you're highlighting all the relevant spiritual passages in them from 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 the from the Gospel of Seuss, of course. I absolutely love this book. How many of you have ever been to a graduation? Yeah, you know, Pastor, you're supposed to love the Bible. You're supposed to be preaching the Bible. You ever heard of the Word of God? You know, they actually still sell them at Christian bookstores. I know that the Bible section is probably getting smaller and smaller by the day, but I'm sure that if you go into a Christian bookstore, you can actually still find a Bible for sale. You know, and if if you can't find one there, you know, you might, you know, next time you travel in a hotel or whatever, the Gideon's Bible Society, they leave Bibles for you in, in, in the hotel rooms. Just want to let you know there's Bibles there for you. And, you know, in fact, you know, never mind. <sighs> I didn't heard him read that book. Yeah. Do you know that this is the last book that Dr. Seuss wrote before he passed? And uh, he wrote it. That's the Saint Seuss. Saint Seuss. From the guy for graduations, he's looking back over life and he's giving uh, words of wisdom and strength. I love how he just lays it out there. He says, "Listen, guys, you were made for greatness. You were to go. Pla- you you were made to go places, and oh, the places you'll go." Now it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to take place overnight. But let me tell you, you've got what it takes. You can make it happen. You're going to make it all the way through. I mean, how awesome is that? It's so much sounds like the heart of God for us. What? What? I'm, I'm speechless at the moment. I know that doesn't happen very often. You know, it's funny, as I actually pre-listened to this sermon, folks, this is what I'm talking about. Where's repentance? Where's sins? Where's Christ's death? Where's his blood? Where's Christ crucified for our sins? This is not Christianity being preached here or the heart of God. The heart of God is that you trust in Christ for your salvation, right? Believe the gospel. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, Peter said to the crowd that had gathered at Pentecost. You killed the Messiah, the author of life, Peter told the crowd. Where, where is the railing against sin? Where is the righteousness of God? Where is Christ in his blood? Hmm. His kids. Can't you just hear him saying, kid? You were made for greatness. You were made to move mountains. I made you in a great way to do great things. So don't quit. Don't give up. I'm going to use you if you'll stay faithful to me. You know, this sounds so good, but this is not the gospel. This is a different good news. Okay. Um, Let's try this out. Um, Let's use our radio transportation methods by the because we can paint word pictures here uh travel with me if you would to darfur okay i would like to welcome to darfur i'd like you to take a look around at the squalor at this humble little congregation that meets in a mud hut or this family over here who just lost a father to aids and the mother's been diagnosed with the disease 
or the orphans over here. What are you talking about, Pastor? Is this your best life now? Is this Joel Osteen's garbage creeping into a purpose-driven form? You know, one of the things I've said, and I'm going to say it again, is that purpose-driven ideas are basically the prosperity gospel light. Rather than asking for Mercedes Benzes and, and, and Lear Jets and, and box seats behind uh, home plate at the local stadium. No, in, instead, this is uh, having a great life, making a big impact. Greatness. Well, God is the one who defines greatness. And God is the one, Christ is the one who said that the greatest among you will be your servant. The first will be last and the last will be first. God reckons greatness differently than we do. Can't you hear the heart of God today saying that to us, to every single one of you in this room? In fact, here's the word of the Lord for you today. Here's what God's wanting you to know. That you have a God-given destiny and purpose. This is not the central message of the gospel at all. Yeah, we have a God-given destiny and purpose. It is true. But my purpose might be to be martyred for the faith. Your purpose might be to uh, wash cars for a living and work for tips. Your purpose might be to change diapers and wipe snotty noses. Or your purpose might be to commute every day, an hour and a half, in traffic, both ways, to work to live and work and breathe in a cubicle, drink really bad coffee, and work under a really weird boss who can't seem to figure out anything with any common sense. That might be your purpose. Is it great? Well, that's the thing. In Christ, all of these things are good works because we serve our neighbor in the vocation that God has put us into, whether it be mom Trash collector, dog catcher, mayor, vice president, president, congressman, cubicle, dweller, or radio personality. It doesn't look great, most of the work that's done. But that's what God has called us to. Think back to the garden, to the Garden of Eden. On the sixth day, God creates man. And God doesn't say to man, build me a temple. God doesn't say to man, build me a house to my name, man. He says, get to work in my garden. Right? God has called us into existence to work and to serve our neighbor in, in love. And by serving our neighbor in love, we're actually working for and serving God. <clears throat> but that's not what we're hearing here. Can you say amen to that? If you haven't pulled out your notes yet out of the program, pull them out right now. And I want you to hear it. You, I'm talking to you, every single one of you in here. You have a God-given destiny and purpose. And you realize that the whole of Scripture says this to us. The whole of Scripture is saying this message. No, the whole of Scripture is telling us about Christ. I am sorry, Pastor, you're wrong. The Bible is not about me and my purpose. It's not. It's about Jesus Christ and his rescue of humanity and his rescuing me from my wretchedness and my sins. It's not about me and my purpose. It's about Christ and his purpose. 
That you have a destiny. You have a God-given purpose. Listen, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says that God has plans for your life. Plans to prosper you and not plans for you to fail. Plans for you to do great things and a hope and a future. And you know those plans that God's given us? He's prepared us in advance to fulfill them. Ephesians 2.10 says... No, those are good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. In Christ, but those who are of the household of faith. That you are God's workmanship and he's created you in advance to do good works. No, this, that only applies to Christians. It doesn't apply to everybody. He prepared you. He gave you all that you need, all the resources that you need to have to do it. He's put it inside of you. Every single one of us in this room has been called to greatness and called to service purpose. You have been given gifts and talents and resources and all kinds of things that God has given you. But he didn't give it to you for your own success. He didn't give it to you so you could fulfill your dreams and purposes. He gave it to you so you could leverage them for the purposes of God in your life. You have a dream and a destiny and a purpose, but it's found in God. It's in what he has for you to do for the kingdom. This is what the Lord is saying to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, make disciples of the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Isn't God good that he's saying, look, all power and all authority is mine and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you go out and make disciples of everybody that you come into contact with. Everybody who will listen to you. No, I'm not arguing with him there. I mean, yeah, that's correct. Go and make disciples. Yeah. Bring them in a relationship with the Lord. Bring them in a relationship with him so they can grow up in him and that they can reach the full potential of who God made them to be. Uh, make disciples so people can achieve their full potential. What? As well. This is the general overarching call of every single person in this room. To live up to your full potential. How, how do I know I'm living up to my full potential? How would you know if you're living up to your full potential? Are you sinning if you're not living up to your full potential? Can God forgive you if you're not? Um, does God expect you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps so that you're living up to your full potential? What if you're sick and have the flu? What if you come out, come down with a terminal illness and you have to spend three years in bed languishing before you die? Are you living up to your full potential? You are called to do great things, to go great places, but every single one of those places and every single one of those things is to leverage your life for the things and the purposes of God. Law. And it's, it's not even, a, uh, uh, it's, by the way, when I say law, 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 pointing out that he's using law here, it's an unlawful use of the law. Okay, there's three uses of, the, of God's law. Curb, mirror, rule. Okay, curb uh, is the first use of the law, which basically keeps us from beating up on each other and stealing, our, stealing each other's stuff. Mirror use of the law is when God sh- uses the law to show us our sins and convict us of our unrighteousness and drive us to our knees in despair. Third use of the law shows us uh, what a good work is. Okay, but um, this is this is an unlawful use, kind of like a fourth use, the uh, the doable law. 
You know, this is the uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and moralizing law. This is an unlawful use of the law. So it's not that you know, that you, your pastor shouldn't preach the law. They absolutely should. Pastors, preach the law. And don't worry about trying to figure out, to, to dial into which of the uses, first use, second use, third use. That's not for you to decide. Actually, that's the Holy Spirit's job to decide which use he's going to use of the law. You just preach the law. You shall not murder. You shall not covet. You shall not steal. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? And God, the Holy Spirit, will decide in the, you know, how the hearer will hear that. First use, second use, third use. But you use the law to level people. It's a nuclear bomb. It's a weapon of mass destruction designed to destroy pretenses of self-righteousness and cause people to despair of their own righteousness. In fact, the law is a wonderful tool of the gospel because it's the law that prepares the way for the gospel, much the same way John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ. What was John the Baptist doing out in the wilderness? Telling people they were wicked and to repent of their sins. Right? Law. And then Christ comes on the scene, and he is the gospel. But although that is general, each and every one of you has a specific, unique calling as well. And that specific, unique calling that God has given to you is your destiny and your purpose. Now, I already know some of you in here have already checked out. Destiny, destiny, no escaping that for me. Destiny. Yeah, young Frankenstein, sorry. Out in your mind, so he's talking about destiny, talking about purpose. I mean, I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no Mother Teresa. Yep, you're right. Listen, you're never going to be Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, not just because you're not as, as, as cool as them. Yeah, it's because you actually don't preach God's word correctly. But because there's only one Billy Graham and there's only one Mother Teresa and you're the only you and your calling is just as vital for the people he's called you to. There's some people in this room who are single parents right now who are, have the call of God on your life to, to, to bring the presence of God into your home. So your kids are going to grow up knowing what it means to connect with God and to know God. And they're going to grow up to be great men and women of God. Talk about a calling. All right. That's not too bad. That's good. There are some business people in this room who know how to make money and know how they're entrepreneurs and God's gifted you to do that. But you're not just doing that to amass a fortune for yourselves, but so that you can finance the endeavors of the Lord. There's some of you in... You, you skip the part about uh, them doing their work to the Lord. Why is it that uh, everything has to somehow tie into the kingdom? In this place right now, who are in growth groups and leading those groups and leading families and marriages and helping them grow in God. Some of you are reaching out to the poor. Some of you are reaching out to the sick. Some of you have gifts to welcome and hospitality. Those are gifts God's given to you as part of your destiny and your calling. Do you know what you are called to do? Do you know your purpose? Do you know your reason? Are you living it out? And if you don't know what it is, you've got to Seek it out. In your notes, write it down. That's the first thing today. You have a destiny. You have a calling, everybody, a purpose. Number one. You- I'll tell you one of the things that's really wrong with this. is it that This is actually kind of coming out of the Robert Schuller approach to doing church. Um, those of you who've uh, heard the White Horse Inn, back in the early days, they actually interviewed Robert Schuller. 
And uh, Robert Schuler basically said that he he didn't want to, you know to use you know, the term sinner or su- and stuff like that and tell people that they were sinful by nature because he thought it would ruin their self-esteem. And so he had a positive way of, of doing the gospel. Rick Warren, when I met with him, said that he preaches repentance without actually saying the word repent. It, uh, following almost identically Robert Schuler's methods here. Now, this guy's following in, in Warren's footsteps. He's a disciple of Warren. And um, it's that same approach. We're not going to tell you about your sinfulness. We're not going to tell you about your need for a savior. We're going to we're going to use a positive approach to the gospel. The positive approach is that God has a calling and a destiny upon your life. Give your life to Jesus and learn your destiny. You know, man, it sounds so appealing. Man, this sounds so positive. Man, this sounds so good. And I'm telling you, it is poison. Absolute poison what's missing repentance and the forgiveness of sins instead what you've got is another program of works to pull yourself up by your bootstrap fulfill your destiny and work hard and god will do this grace is missing i'm telling you this is this is psycho babble self-help pep talk kind of stuff it sounds good it sounds positive and what's missing from this is Christ. Who was he preaching about today? You. Without Christ, it cannot possibly be a Christian message. Anyway, we went a little long. That's what I do. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know. I should probably do a second hour. I, I should just, you know, because I keep pushing into the second hour. I might as well just you know, talk to my wife. <laughs> She wants me to, she says, Chris, just do a second hour. Just do a second hour. Anyway, I'd like to thank you for uh, tuning in today and listening to Fighting for the Faith. And, uh, you know, if you want to uh, listen to more of the Dr. Seuss sermons yourself, and you can do so, uh, go to a littleleaven.com and look up for the, the, you know, the Dr. Seuss sermons exhibits, you know, the Theologans for your noggins, and you can actually listen to the rest for yourself. It's a mixed bag. It's not completely f- false doctrine. It's just the problem is, is that the emphasis is on you. It's not on Christ. It's on what you do, not on what Christ has done for you. And... Um, this is the kind of stuff that will burn people out in the long run and cause them to despair. It's not deep. It's not biblical. They're preaching from other sources as if it's important to do so, and that's not what the church is called to do. We are called to preach Christ and him crucified. As the Apostle Paul said, I chose to know nothing among you, Corinthian church, except for Christ and him crucified. If you would like to email me and sound off, let me know what you thought. You could do so at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. It's talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can look me up on Facebook. Apparently I'm there, and I'm not sure how you can find me, but just do the Facebook thing. (laughs) Anyway, Lord bless you, and we'll uh, talk with you guys next time.